Nope, we don't need to speed up the process. We don't need to nuke this. You know why? Because this is the non-microwave truth. This is the little man that could, the little man that would, C.L. Whiteside. And this is brought to you by Time of Grace Ministry. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, hallelujah, stay around. Just stay around for a little bit. And what's even more of a blessing is if you are back again. Never take your time for granted. Praise the Lord that you are here. Now, if you mess with the podcast, if you rock with the podcast, don't forget to hit the five star, leave a review, hit the like button on YouTube. And the reason being is the more likes, the more five stars, the more reviews, the better chance that more people have of, of hearing this, hearing the non-microwave truth, hearing something from a biblical perspective, hearing the gospel. Now, enough of that. Let's get into our first world problem. Our first world problem question is this. I'm going to give you three different choices. I'm going to give you three different choices, but I want you to think about this. Which pastor would you have the toughest time listening to and trusting if this was their, this was their story, this was their background? The first choice is, is this. A, the pastor has been divorced. Is it B, the pastor has a child who openly says they do not believe in Jesus? Or is it C, you have heard that the pastor is hot tempered or a drunk. Which of these three will make it the toughest? Notice I said toughest because you might be like, mm, I don't want no pastor with any of that. None of that. Which one would be the toughest for you? Which one would be the toughest for you to listen to them and to trust them? Is it A, the pastor had a divorce? B, the pastor has a son or daughter who openly says, I don't believe in Jesus. Or is it C, you have heard that the pastor is hot tempered or a drunk? Would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. Handle is ChampionLife23. Let me hear from you on TikTok. If you're on YouTube, drop it in the comments. Now, this is one of those where you're like, can I get some more context? Because we really do need more context for every single one of these choices. We're not going to do that. We'll talk a little bit more in depth about that in dinner time. But which one right away made you like, mm -mm, couldn't do it, couldn't do it? Which one would be the toughest for you just based off the small amount of information that I gave you? I want to hear from you. And this is our first world problem. It is dinner time. The title of our episode is, Should This Person Be a Pastor? Ooh, and I, I think I said this before. I feel like being a pastor has to be the toughest job in the entire world because how many people are looking at you, waiting for you to make a mistake and say, see, you're not perfect. And you know what? No pastor is perfect. There is only one who was perfect, one who is perfect, and that's Jesus. That's it. So if you look into a pastor to be perfect and to be exactly like Jesus, you are going to be disappointed for sure. Now, when we look at this episode, we're going to look at scripture so much because I don't want to look at um, opinions or, or feelings or what our culture says. I want to look at what God's word says. Now, there definitely are qualifications for being a pastor and when i say pastor i'm talking about someone who teaches and preaches in the church they are a public minister that is their job that is their vocation so that's what i mean by pastor and i know at times people can be like man is it is it ever too late for the past like if the pastor was too wild does that disqualify him from being a pastor like pastor used to have sex with any and everything walking can they be a pastor you know pastor had a crazy temper pastor used to fight a lot well you do know that pastor once was a thief and a drunk i don't think he could be a pastor anymore 
But we got to look at what God's word says on the qualifications of that. And the first person I want to look at is actually Moses. He's not a pastor, but I would say he's something similar where God wanted to use him. and He was called for a specific person purpose. But look at Moses's past Exodus chapter two, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people looking this way and that and seeing no one. Moses killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So Moses was like, I'm supposed to be leading my people. He took matters into his own hands, got super mad and killed somebody. He was a murderer. That was his past. Like, oh, that's a wild past. You murder somebody. But listen to this. Check this out. This was 40 years before he was ready to, to lead. Murder made him disqualified at that moment to lead. Murder, without a doubt, made him disqualified to lead. But it didn't forever disqualify him. It did not forever disqualify him. Acts chapter 7 verse 30 says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. This is the same Moses that it says in verse 36. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. So Moses was definitely disqualified by killing somebody. Definitely disqualified. But he wasn't forever disqualified. It took 40 years for him to be ready to, to lead and to be in God's calling, God's purpose. Now, another wild pass, another wild pass. We got to look at Brother Saul, also known as Brother Paul. He had a crazy pass because he was capturing Christians and getting them killed. He was against Christ's ministry. And look at what Acts chapter nine, verse 26 says. It says when he came to Jerusalem, this is after he had saw the Lord. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Paul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, something that we got to see, especially even if you had a wild pass, especially when you have had a wild pass, I should say people need to see fruits of your of your labor. And even the great apostle Paul, he needed a mentor or he needed a bridge to introduce him to other believers so he couldn't just say yeah i was just trying to kill you now believe in me because that just makes absolutely no sense most people are gonna look at you crazy and they're not going to trust you they're gonna be like uh, -uh can't do it can't mess with it now there needs this, this there needs to be a common thing this needs to be a thing of the past like this cannot be a thing of the present like we talk about having a crazy past not a crazy present where you're doing some of these things like having sex with any and everybody being getting drunk being hot tempered you know, like that can't work. And, and Titus chapter one, verse seven tells us this. It tells us this very clearly. It says, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So this couldn't be a pastor. You can't be a pastor if you're just coming up with your own stories, your own experiences, and then thinking that can trump what God's truth says. Like that doesn't work. And your past matters to an extent. Like there needs to be some time. There needs to be some fruits of labor before people can, can trust you. There also has to be some time for God to train a person to be a pastor or a church leader. It shouldn't be something where somebody wakes up one day and then the next week they are a, a pastor. And we'll see some scripture later that talks about them being able to be tested, 
them being able to give sound doctrine and them not being a recent convert to, to the faith. Like it, it should take a little bit of time. And I know how many pastors uh, spend years in theology, getting masters and really enjoy and are in the word of God so that they can give sound doctrine. It takes some time to train. though. It does take some time to train. A lot of times God's going to make it take some time before he can use you before he can use you. Now, this is another thing. And we talked about this a little bit in, in the first word problem. This is another thing where people are kind of like, man, does this disqualify a, a pastor from being a, a pastor? Like, should this person be a pastor if they have gotten a divorce and or they got some wild, wild kids? Does this disqualify them? And I remember I was talking to one of my guys and he was telling me about how he goes to a church and the pastor has did recently just had a divorce. And he's like, yeah, it's really none of my business. And I'm like. Uh, actually, it kind of is part, part of your business for sure. You don't want to just be nosy, but that should matter to you. And the pastor just can't be like, yeah, it doesn't matter why. It, like, no, it actually does matter. And I feel like we're in a, a culture and a society now where nowadays pastors are more comfortable getting divorced. You know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, they would have just said they would have stuck together no matter what. Maybe that could have been a fault, but they would do it no matter what. Now, let's look at some qualifications for elders, and I'm going to say elders and church leaders and, and pastors. And the title of this is Love What is Good. This is from Titus chapter 1, verse 6. It says, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, look at what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says. It says, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task, like a pastor who, or someone who wants to be a pastor, not for popularity, not for money. They want to do it to serve God. Like that's that's a noble task. Like, hallelujah. Shout out to the people that 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 do that. Verse two says, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. Now, I'm going to use that phrase of, all right, at times you can be disqualified, but you might not be forever disqualified. Like if you're presently in some mess, you probably need to take some time away from the pulpit. Like you definitely need to take some time away. And this is even for for church leaders. Like I remember one of my my pastor, he was talking to someone who was on the board, a church leader. And he was like, yeah, I want to come see you at your job. And he was like, Pastor, you can't visit me at my job. So he was working at establishment. He was working at a place that there's no way in the world that the pastor could go unless he went to end up on the news. So it's like, yeah, bro, you probably shouldn't be on the board. You probably shouldn't be a, ch a church leader. Now, let's jump to verse four. It says he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church like have you ever thought about that if the person can't manage their family and it's definitely tough to manage a family like i'm not knocking anybody but if you can't manage that how are you going to manage god's household like that's this is what god says not me okay and i'm gonna give you an example this is not the same but but it's similar when we're talking about pastors we're gonna look at the priest eli in first samuel 2 chapter 22 i'm gonna read the nlt version it says, now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. So he knew his sons were knocking down the women and having sex. He also knew they weren't doing the offering in, in the right way. 
Like these were just some wicked and some wild dudes. Now we're going to jump to verse 29. Look at what God says to him. He says, so why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people Israel. Now I'm going to go to verse 34, 34. It says, and to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire. I will establish his family and they will be priests to my anointed kings forever. Like, so they weren't doing the right thing at all. Like he didn't handle his family like he was supposed to. And God was like, I got to, I'm going to have to get rid of you. I'm going to have to get rid of this evil. And on this episode of should this person be a pastor, we got to go back and look at that question of can a pastor get a divorce? If a pastor gets a divorce, should he stay being a pastor and i think it just depends i think it really depends on like if you get divorced because of the spouse being unfaithful that's something different compared to you just saying like all right we got irreconcilable differences and we just signed up you just give in and just sign the paper like if you have irreconcilable differences one of the things is like did you take any time away to try to fight for your marriage like that's something you probably should do before you sign the paper like take some time away and see if you can do it and then that question of does the congregation deserve to know to an extent yes they they do deserve to know and i asked some pastors uh, about this i asked some pastors specifically about this question if a pastor gets a divorce what do you think should be the steps that are taken should this person continue to be a, a pastor and one of the pastors said this he said if it's your fault you definitely need to take away some time. Like you need to step away from the pulpit for sure. How long? I'm not necessarily going to say that, but you might not want to be in the ministry anymore because of that. And it goes back to verse two of Timothy. You are no longer above reproach and you were not faithful to your wife. So above reproach means you are not blameless. You have, you have that stain right there that people will know and be able to identify you by for sure. Now that being said, God's grace is definitely sufficient and enough to forgive that person. Definitely enough. The grace is enough. That person is still love. That's a sin that God still died for. But it's one of those things that you aren't qualified to do that if that just happened. Right. That, that, that doesn't make sense in that regard. And he also said that they definitely should share what their offense is so that the, the, the congregation could know and the congregation can move on and heal from that. Now, another pastor said this. He says, if a pastor does get a divorce, both parties, they deserve to share what steps they did to reconcile their marriage. Like there definitely should be some steps to reconcile their marriage is one of the reasons he's saying they should share it. Because if you didn't do anything to reconcile a marriage, this definitely is not good. This definitely is not something where your congregation should be celebrating and saying, oh, yeah, that was that was OK how they did it because because it's not. And he wants more so to say, like, you know, was there counseling? Did the pastor talk to his pastor? And he talked about the importance of pastors having accountability partners and having people there to to counsel them. And I thought about Peter and Judas when they both sinned. They both denied Jesus. They both did a hideous sin. What was the difference? The difference was Peter went amongst his brothers and sisters of Christ and he was able to be encouraged. Judas went by him himself. And I think that's something that we got to get at. Even pastors, they got to make sure they aren't being too prideful or too arrogant to say, you know what? Me, my wife and God can work this out. Like, you know, God does put people in place to, to help you and to give you counsel and to also shepherd you in, in that regard. Now, one of the pastors said this. They said, if 
the per if the spouse alone is at fault, then you probably should be more in general, more general with how you discuss it with your congregation and not necessarily just throw that person under the bus. And then if, if that's the case, the pastor can take a break, but the pastor also could keep going if they done everything they possibly could. And that the, if the other person had cheated and the other person had directly been at fault or, or abandoned him, they could keep going that way. Now, this is something that a pastor brought up and I thought it was interesting. He said it's very, 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 very hard. Let's say that the wife cheats, but the pastor had cheated first. And then all of a sudden, now that the wife cheated, the pastor is like, you know, I want to get a divorce. Even the wife says, hey, I, I, I repent for this. I want to make sure that we, we work on this still. Let's try to make this work. Because he's like, you know, a lot of times pastors preach about forgiveness, but then they don't necessarily practice forgiveness. And he's saying in this case, if it happens to be you cheated and they cheated too, you know, that's that's very that's a lot of gray. That's a lot of gray. And that's an awesome opportunity. But that's not something we wish on any person, not a pastor, not not any person. Definitely don't want to wish that on anybody. Now, to wrap this up, I want to look at First Timothy, chapter three verse one through 13. And this just explains what a pastor shouldn't give into. You should go read this on your own. This explains what a pastor shouldn't give into pastors. I'm talking about pastors, church leaders, elders. They are not supposed to give into this verse three, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I'm going to skip to verse six. He must not be a recent convert, no new believer. And why is this? Because it says, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Verse eight, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. I just want to point out a deacon is not a pastor. A deacon is someone who is there to to serve and to do the stuff that the pastor or the elder necessarily doesn't do. Like they're not preaching a word. They're not teaching a word in, in that regards. Verse nine says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must be first tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So this would be like ushers, greeters, people maybe on a board. I'm going to jump to verse 12. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the next thing right here, I'm going to go there on this episode of should this person be a pastor? Should a woman be a pastor? Should a woman be a pastor? Now, I'm going to go to some things that aren't biblical. And I got to point out right away. So I have heard some people say a woman should not be a pastor because look at Deborah. The only reason that Deborah was in power is because the men, they were bad and they didn't want to do anything. And if you want to know where's Deborah at, that's in Judges chapter four and chapter five. First thing I got to point out is Deborah was not a pastor. Deborah was a judge. So that, that's a different thing. That's more like a military leader. That's more like somebody who's in a, a political thing. It's not a, a pastor. It's, it's not the same thing. So I'm going to give you the verse that talking about Judges chapter four, verse eight. It says, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. And very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went back. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Now, when you think about this, this is talking about she was like, yeah, you got to go to war. He like, I can't do it. I need you, Deborah. Deborah, you so awesome. Like he didn't trust in just God. He was like, Deborah, I need you to be there with me. You are that woman. Please come with me. And she was just like, all right, because of that, 
you're not going to get the glory. You're not going to get the praise. It's going to go to a, a different woman. Now, getting back to that thing, um, I've definitely heard people say this is a reason on why the only reason why God used Deborah is because there were no good men. And I just that that's not God's MO. That's not God's resume. If God didn't have someone who was not if God has someone who wasn't talented enough, he still could use him because it's not about the person anyways. And a great example is, is Moses. A great example is Moses. Remember, Moses was like, I don't want to do this. And what did God say? You're still going to do it, Moses. Please, God, I don't want to do it. OK, I'll give you your brother Aaron. So God didn't use Deborah because there were no good men. God used Deborah because he wanted to use Deborah. That's why God used Deborah. But again, that's not the same thing as, as a priest or, or a pastor. So I have to point that out. Now, there is something that I think is a timeless principle, a timeless principle. And I feel like this is in multiple places in the Bible that speaks to whether a woman should be a pastor or not. I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 2, verse 11. It says, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a wrongdoer. The woman became a wrongdoer. All right, I'm going to go to another passage. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregation of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. And God is the head of Christ. So these passages I'm looking at it from a timeless principle and it's because there's multiple places in the Bible say that a woman should not be a pastor. But I was looking at my study Bible and it said, look at Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And it gives this and it says, this is a great example of a woman being a preacher. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Now, they used in my study Bible, they used this and said, look, see, they're saying that this woman was a great preacher. But I'm like, wait, wait a minute. That's not the role of a pastor. Like, that's not the exact role of a pastor in being public. That was a private thing. They took him into their home and it was a husband and it was a wife. So I don't look at that and say, like, that's support that a woman is a pastor. Now, one thing I don't want to get twisted, I never ever will say this, and I don't think God says this either, is that women don't have the talent to preach. Like that is never said. That is never said. It's not about the capability or the talent. It's about what God's word says. It's about God's order. And some things I got to point out to you, like in the Old Testament, priests came from where? Levi. Why? They had to come from the tribe of Levi because that's what God wanted to do. Like, that's what God wanted to do. If you look at this, none of the 12 disciples were women. And I've heard people try to use this argument. Well, that's because Jesus was protecting women and he didn't want them to not have any credibility because women didn't have the same amount of credibility. And it's like, that's not true either, because the first people that he appeared to were 
women and he allowed them to be witnesses and, and share that message right there. God definitely didn't care about the culture as much as sometimes we try to make it seem. So some people will say, you know, the only reason that Jesus didn't have any uh, disciples that were women or a part of the 12 is because he was trying to protect them. And it's like, no, all of the disciples were eventually going to die for him anyways. That's not something that's in the scripture. That's something that people have have added. Um, sometimes people have said, you know, culture didn't allow women, but Jesus and, and God don't care about culture. And that's not true in, in all the culture because. There were tons of women goddesses in pagan religions. There were ton of tons of women priestesses. I think that's a word in pagan religions. So it didn't always go with the culture to say that women cannot do anything. The big thing that I think is that and what I see from looking at the scripture is God is a God of order. God is a God. of order. So you definitely can disagree with me, but don't disagree with me based off of your opinion or off your feelings like. Go to scripture, find something in there that disagrees with what I just said on if that person should, should be a pastor. Like, go to scripture. Go to scripture. And to wrap up this episode, I want to encourage all of you to pray for all pastors and for all church leaders and to give them grace. Like, they are not going to be perfect. We talked about those qualifications. And at times, they may need to be disqualified understand they are not forever disqualified and God's grace extends to to all of us including pastors Jesus is the only one who lived that perfect life he's the only one who meets the qualifications a hundred percent of the time and though we might need to take some time out from an earthly standpoint we never need to take some time out from a spiritual standpoint and we are never disqualified from God's grace and God's love it's extended to all of us and we got to remember that. So praise God for the great leaders, great pastors that you have in your life. And remember the greatest leader of all time, Jesus. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Should This Person Be a Pastor? Peace, punch, cap, and crunch. Say no to drugs and yes to Jesus. I am out.